Another week, another podcast. Welcome into Inside the Pylon, the podcast. Chuck Zada and Mark Schofield here, as always, to get you caught up on your Week 6 action. We're also going to be talking about some of our upcoming games for Week 7. We have a uh, couple pretty good guests, pretty great guests, actually, that are going to be joining us. Rich Hill from patspulpit.com is going to be coming on with us in just a couple minutes. And then a little bit later on, we're going to be joined by Jeff Risden as well to talk a little Lions, which we really haven't been able to do all season. Uh, fortunate that we were able to get a win for them this weekend, Mark, because otherwise I don't know if Jeff was really going to be in a mood to talk to us. I mean, he'd probably be in a mood to talk, but it, we'd get probably angry Jeff instead of happy Jeff. So Yeah, and, and as much as I love angry Jeff on a personal level, I don't know if it's the best for this format. It just... Uh, it would be a little bit of a challenge, I think, to uh, get that through some of the, uh, you know, the the sensors and so forth. It's it's it can get a little aggressive sometimes. It can get a little aggressive, but you got to love the passion, right? Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, I know uh, we're grabbing our first guest on the line right now. It is Rich Hill. He is the editor in chief over at PatsPulpit.com. A uh, great site that really pulls together a ton of Patriots news. They do some analysis as well. And very happy to welcome in Rich to our podcast here today. Rich, how are you? We're doing well. How are you doing today? We are doing great. And certainly, uh, if you saw the numbers from the ratings on the Sunday night game, it did a 64 share in Boston. So almost two-thirds of TVs in the Boston area watching that game. You were watching, too. What, what were some of the biggest things you took away just right off the top? Well, I think it was interesting to specifically see how the Colts They've changed over the year, and I, I was very impressed by that. I went into the game knowing that the Patriots weren't going to try and run the ball as they have in the past because the Colts, they've improved their defense. I mean, their run defense was ranked in the mid-20s last year, and now they're around the top 10. And a lot of that was attributed to their two new rookies from Stanford in Henry Anderson and David Perry. But I was really interested to see how overall as a defense, they are just light years ahead of where they were last year. Yeah, I, I was impressed, and even though LeGarrette Blunt ended up putting up, I think it was 95 yards over the course of the game, a lot of that came on one long touchdown run. They, they seem to be able to contain the Patriots' running game much more than in, in previous years, and, and, and certainly was at least a much more even competition than we've seen over the last couple of years. Yeah, absolutely, and I, I think that I mean, the Patriots, they definitely hurt a little bit with Deion Lewis with his abdominal injury. I think that he was going to be a core part of their game plan. But I, would, I, I agree with you. I was very pleasantly surprised with how LeGarrette Blunt has developed his game as, as a receiver. I know that he worked over the offseason to try and get a little better at catching the ball. And I guess that paid its dividends in the red zone when he and Tom Brady ran that little scramble drill and, and Blunt made it into the end zone. So I, I think that he's becoming a little more versatile. I'd like to see him run north-south a little bit harder than he has been this year, but I think that overall the, the Patriots on both sides of the ball, they, were, they performed as well as you could expect. Rich, looking at the other side of the ball now, it looked like early in the game the Colts were having success kind of throwing underneath routes, crossing routes, but it seemed like in the second half the Patriots were able to kind of slow that down a bit. Did you see anything that they did defensively in the second half that helped slow down that passing game? Absolutely. Bill Belichick actually highlighted it a little bit, too, in his press conference, where he said that the, the Patriots were playing a little bit of zone in the first half, and they deviated and flipped over to man coverage in the second half just to try and negate the, the confusion and the transitions in between the players and coverage. 
So I think that helps clean up a little bit of the mistakes that, that were happening out there. And I, I think that they, as in the Patriots, they really relied on their veterans and their secondary and Devin McCourty and Pat Chung to really help out and make sure that all the communications were working on the back end and making sure that everyone was covered in the right spot. But I think that the transition from the, the zone coverage to the man, uh, I think it definitely affected how Andrew Luck was reading the secondary, how he was reading the passing routes. And I thought that the, the Patriots defense, I mean, they definitely stepped it up in the second half. But I thought that Malcolm Butler, when he was able to play in that man coverage, I thought he was a lot more competitive and it them pulse from really having any successful drives until garbage time. Yeah, Rich, talk to me a little bit about Malcolm Butler because I saw an image on, I think it was Twitter somewhere, it was on Twitter somewhere over the course of this week of the four touchdowns that Butler has given up to opposing receivers this year. And on every single one, there's pretty much a fingertip on the ball as the <laughs> receiver is catching it. It's, it's not like he's getting beat and, and giving up wide open touchdowns here. He is able really to stick with some pretty good receivers in this league through the first five games of the Patriots season. Yeah, I think that's a real testament to his ability because while he had been in great position on all of those, I think it was Mark Daniels of the Providence Journal that was sending that around. But you, you just saw how he played against Antonio Brown in the opening week, and there were easily three plays where Malcolm Butler was in the perfect position, but there was just a hair wrong where the ball just squeaked through and Antonio Brown either corralled it or scored a touchdown off of it. But he's been in great position all year. I think that what you what we've been seeing is that he has just such a wealth of natural ability where he's able to shadow all of these players. He's able to turn his head and look for the ball. But I think what he has to develop is just with more experience, he'll know when he should attack the ball versus when he should defend the receiver. Because right now, and we kind of saw it a little bit in the fourth quarter where he was just knocking around passes left and right and almost collecting every single interception, I mean, he, he, he is a ball hawk. He, he has a natural nose for the ball. But when it comes to those passes in the end zone, he's looking to turn around and, and grab the ball. But he's defending routes that are specifically designed to have the quarterback loft it over the defender. So I, I think that in those circumstances, Butler should be more looking towards defending the receiver and playing his arms and trying to disrupt the ball from being collected versus trying to attack the ball in and of itself. And I know Bill Belichick came out in his press conference earlier this week, and he said that he expected to, that he was going to see Butler continue to grow over the course of his career. He said he hasn't hit his peak yet, and I think that that bodes well when, when the coaching staff is saying, look, we think this player can continue to get better. It may be that we're just scratching the surface of what Butler can do here, so definitely a good sign. Now, turning to, I think, and Rich, I have to ask you about this because it's the play that everyone has been talking about this week, and it's it's none other than the Colts' fake punt, if you want to call it. If, I don't even know what to call it. I, I know it's been referenced as the Pagano in a couple places. I've also seen the cluster punt once or twice. What what uh, was Cluster Chuck is my favorite. <laughs> I try to keep myself out of it, but I guess I'll take it. What what was your reaction just when you first saw that play? What was going through your head as you're watching this unfold? I think that I was just as confused as everyone on the Colt sideline when that was going down. I mean, I in retrospect, looking over it, that I think that I just developed a really great appreciation for how the veterans on the Patriots special teams unit, they were just directing everyone and making sure they had a man on a man, making sure they weren't offside. But I mean, when it was happening, I was, I was absolutely lost. I mean, I, I knew that the 
the Colts. I mean, they they clearly had been practicing that one. This is something that they were expecting to do because they, they had done the onside kick. They had been going for it on fourth down. They, they were pulling every single trick out of the hat. And so you're kind of expecting something on a punt. But, I mean, I wasn't expecting that. I mean, I, I, I'm with you. I don't even know what to call it. But that, that was – I mean, that was hilarious. I think that, in all honesty, that was – a greater highlight than the butt fumble purely because of how intentional it was. Rich, obviously now we can look forward a bit to next weekend. We've got Jets and Patriots, a big NFC East showdown. The Jets have been pretty good this season. In fact, very good on the defensive side of the ball, only giving up 15 points a game. And thinking about this upcoming game, what are you looking for in that matchup between the Jets defense and the New England offense? I'm really nervous about the Patriots' offensive line right now. When you look at the strength of this New York Jets team, they, they have just such a great rotation on that defensive line with Muhammad Wilkerson, the Sheldon Richardson's back. They have Snacks Harrison. He, he's a big body in the middle. They have first-round pick Leonard Williams. I mean, they have such a rotation of talent there where they're all key players. And you, you look on the other sideline with the Patriots, I mean, hopefully Marcus Cannon will be healthy. So, Nate, so uh Sebastian Volmer can go back to the right tackle spot. But you look everywhere else on that line, you have three rookies playing heavy snaps on the middle, or you have Josh Klein in there. And then, I, I mean, we have Cameron Fleming out there, right tackle, if Cannon isn't ready to go. This is a really understated issue for the Patriots moving forward, is just how both inexperienced and how great of a quality of opposition they'll be facing for the rest of the season and I, I, you have to hope that the Patriots will be able to gel soon and hopefully Marcus Cannon can recover as quickly as possible yeah I agree I mean obviously able to put it together for the the remainder of the Colts game with an, a number of starters out but definitely coming into a game against a very strong defensive frontier it will be a question so Rich we got to let you go now I know you have some things to do as well but appreciate the time and thanks for coming on with us Absolutely. Thanks for having me. You got it. That was Rich Hill from patspulpit.com. You can also follow him on Twitter at pp underscore rich underscore hill. And he has some great Patriots related news that they put out there. Um, And so obviously a great person to follow on Twitter. Mark, we're going to move away from uh, the Sunday night game now and go to our favorite segment of the week. It is the only segment that has a sponsor. And as such, I'm going to let Mark lead us into the Harry Stamper All-Go Play of the Week. That's right. Best time of the week for me, at least. It's the Harry Stamper All-Go Offensive Play of the Week, brought to you by NASA. NASA, because it's a big-ass sky. And what's and our, that, what, what do we have for our play this week, Mark? We actually have the San Francisco 49ers. Imagine that, a team we haven't the talked who? much about. They haven't given us a lot to talk about. But they give us a kind of chance to look at both what they did on the field in this one particular play and maybe talk a little bit conceptually about the, the notion of young quarterbacks. Um, as you know, our good friend and colleague Dave Archibald, he likes talking around the ITP World Headquarters about how teams are handling certain players. And he's been talking lately. He's been doing some good theoretical stuff on Inside the Pylon about roster construction. But he's also been looking at Colin Kaepernick and some other young quarterbacks and kind of trying to figure out how they should best be handled. He seems to think that a lot of teams, when they put together a game plan for a younger quarterback, they like to go sort of max protection, send one or two receivers out onto the play and kind of limit the quarterback's decisions. Dave seems to think, and I tend to agree with him, that that's probably the wrong way to approach it because 
that lets the defense kind of dictate what can happen in the course of a play. But on this play against the Ravens, the 49ers did just that. They went with 12 personnel, um, you know, one running back, two tight ends. They show play action, and they only send two receivers out into a pattern against the Baltimore Ravens. And they just happen to be two former Ravens. Anquan Bolden, he's on the back side of the play, runs a deep crossing route. And then Torrey Smith runs an out and up, a double move along the sideline. They catch the Ravens kind of in a cover zero man coverage across the board. And the double move works. Smith gets a nice step on the cornerback. And then when he cuts upfield, the cornerback kind of cuts under, anticipating the out route. And it's an easy throw and a long touchdown play for the 49ers. Does it seem like we are seeing more double routes from wide receivers this year? I can think of a couple notable ones that I've seen. Most recently, there was one in the Sunday night game, actually, where Keyshawn Martin ran one and Brady gave him a pump fake. It seems like we may be seeing more of them to combat man coverage that we're seeing across the league. Is that accurate or just my view? I think that's accurate. I think they're always kind of a a function and a staple of an offense, of a play structure. But I think what we're seeing more and more man coverage on the outside, offenses just have a chance to exploit double moves more and more in the passing game like you said the the martin play on sunday night against the colts again a double move you get the cornerback to play a little bit aggressive in man coverage bite on that pump fake a bit and then if you have a fast or a quick receiver that can change direction quickly hat tip to our friend dan hatman at the scouting academy one of the things they look for especially in skilled players is the ability to quickly change direction and if you have a receiver that can do that you can exploit defensive backs in man coverage on a double move so getting back to uh this play from Kaepernick to Torrey Smith here Kaepernick has been a guy who has had a a struggle here this year with a lot of pundits rightfully saying that he's he's regressed he does not appear to be the quarterback that we thought we were getting when he first came into the league how much of that do you think is a reflection of scheme versus a reflection of his talent uh you know, kind of the breakdown there. You know, I think a lot of it comes down to scheme. And, you know, we had Matt Waldman on recently to talk about why scheme is so important when it comes to player evaluation. And we're seeing that play out over the course of Kaepernick's young career. When he first came onto the scene, 49ers did a lot of stuff in the run-pass option game when Harbaugh was there. And now they're kind of you know, he's been through, you know, another offensive coordinator now. Teams kind of figured out what he was able to do in the run-pass option kind of offense. So now they've kind of had to transition to it a little bit where they do a lot of stuff with him under center. So, you know, I, I wouldn't say that he's, you know, I wouldn't write him off or anything like that, but I think it's just a matter of finding his rhythm in this scheme, being able to, you know, work through progressions, work through reads, and hopefully start to flourish in this offensive system. Sure, sure. So let's let's spin around and take a look at some of the other games that we saw over the course of the weekend one that I was watching and that I was a little bit surprised at the result was the, the Cardinals-Steelers game. And I don't know how much of this you watched, but just from my perspective, taking a look at this, this was a Cardinals team that admittedly hadn't really beaten anyone great. If you go through the first part of their schedule, beat the Saints, Bears, 49ers, and Lions, four teams that really hadn't done a whole lot. They lost a two-point game to the Rams. And here they walk into Heinz Field and end up going down 25-13 to 13 in a game that really, I don't even think it was, I think they had a pretty good chance to win it, and they just got blown out by the Steelers in the second half. 
Yeah, um, I mean, this is a game that we talked about a little bit last week when we were talking about this week's slate of games. And, you know, as we talked, it was it's always tough for a West Coast team to come east and yeah. you know, play that early game. And I think we saw a little bit of that. They just they didn't have the explosive plays that we've seen from them this season. Whereas on the other side of the ball, Steelers got a big explosive play near the end there to seal that game away, that long touchdown pass um, from Landry Jones coming in in relief for Mark for Michael Vick. Yeah. Um, but yeah, a kind of a surprising result. I mean, what were your takeaways from that game? Well, I think you mentioned again Landry Jones, and Landry Jones was a guy who was sitting on the victory podium, literally giggling because he was so happy just to have gotten into an NFL game and actually come out with a win. I mean, this right. is this is a guy that the last thing that he was expecting to do was to to play any type of significant time. Had never thrown a pass before this week in an NFL game. Was drafted back in 2013. So he's really been just sitting there on the bench for the last three years. And we had talked in the last couple weeks about how Arizona's defense was really something that was driving their team. But when when you're giving up two touchdown passes to Landry Jones and making him, you know, he's going 8 of 12 for 168 yards – you need to look at yourself and, and make sure that you're addressing some issues there. Yeah, it, it's time to go back to the drawing board a bit when, when you give that up, I think. What else did you see in terms of what, what games stood out to you, either result-wise, scheme-wise? What, what, were, what were you looking at this weekend? Well, another game we talked about last week was, you know, we keep talking about the Cincinnati Bengals. Are they for real? Are they? Is this finally the year that Andy Dalton and company put it together and make a nice playoff run? And this was a good test for them to go on the road to it. You know, Buffalo, a tough place to play environment-wise. Conditions were a little tough at the beginning of that game. And you get a Rex Ryan defense. And again, they go on the road, put together a nice, solid win, get to 6-0. and I mean, I don't know how much of this game you watched, but they look like maybe, maybe, maybe we can start buying in on Cincinnati. I, I may, and, and this is just at, at first glance. I've only watched about half of that tape right now. But at first glance, I may, I may even put them second in the AFC ahead of the Broncos right now. Really? I just I you look at what Peyton Manning's doing in the Broncos and, and were you able to watch any of that Broncos Browns game? Yeah, I I've taken a look at that. What was your thought on Manning because it it seems like he is really a drag on that team right now. I mean, I don't know if I'd go as far as to say he's a drag on that team, but you know, I think in you know, because it's the Broncos, the easy comparison that comes to mind is the late days of the John Elway era when this was a team that used to win because of the quarterback and now they're winning not in spite of the quarterback but I would they're say in winning spite. in other ways. I would almost go in spite because you have a guy who over the last three weeks now, two touchdowns and seven interceptions. Yeah, I mean, he hasn't played well. And I'm sure he'd be the first player to admit that. But, you know, I'm... You know, maybe it's maybe it's the old softy quarterback in me, but I'm not ready to just give up on Peyton Manning just yet. Because as I've seen too many times, again, you know, being a being a Patriots fan, there have been times when you've said, okay, well, he doesn't have it anymore, and then he goes out and hangs forty on him. So, what what do you see when you, when you look at the tape? There is this all arm strength related. Is it still trying to find a mesh between him and Kubiak? What what do you think is the biggest issue? I mean, I, I think it's a combination of the two. I mean, I think that the arm strength, it's just, it's not there. And, you know, in the Kubiak system and trying to find, you know, a balance between what Peyton Manning can do well, what he likes to do and what he can do now, and what Kubiak likes to do on the offense, they're still trying to fill it out. Remember, we also had Brandon Thorne on, who, you know, he's out in the Denver area. He looks at the Broncos a lot. And it's also that running game now. 
you got to keep that in yeah, mind, especially as we start getting in. Fall becomes winter out there, and out there in Denver, and conditions get to be tough. They're going to need to rely on that running game, maybe even more as you know, fall becomes winter. And, and we were just talking arm strength on Manning, but also just spinning back to that Colts Patriots game briefly. Talk to me about what you saw arm strength wise from Andrew Luck throwing motion mechanics. How, how did he look in that game? Well, Luck's always a very mechanically sound quarterback. I've probably mentioned it before that he's one of my favorites to watch just from a mechanic standpoint because it seems like he does everything so well in the pocket, moving around in the court, in the pocket, throwing from his base, throwing off his base. But things were off a little bit Sunday night. And you and I actually talked during the game about how it looked like just some throws, it's just the arm strength wasn't there. And, you know, having, we don't know exactly what he's suffering from in terms of a shoulder injury, but, you know, I've had some shoulder problems in my past and still do. And I can tell you that, you know, it doesn't seem like that shoulder is anywhere close to 50%, let alone 100%. No, and, and I mentioned that it seemed to me at first glance, it's almost like when a pitcher in baseball has an injury and is dragging his arm through his throwing motion as opposed to re- really coming through all at once. It almost seemed like he was slinging the ball in some cases as opposed to really throwing with a natural motion. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, you know, earlier, I think it was the second quarter, he made a you know, throw in a deep sideline route, and Collinsworth actually said, oh, well, you can put to rest any questions about his arm strength. But that might have been one of the two good throws he really had that night. A lot of other throws were either high or, you know, just quite off the target and even on some underneath routes it looked like he really had to put a lot to get the ball just you know five ten yards down the field yeah definitely I I would agree there and and certainly that was something that I saw quite a bit uh throughout the day it'll be it'll be interesting to see if we see something similar in the coming weeks and I'm almost curious if they end up resting him a little more across the uh next next few weeks of the season yeah, I mean, it might be a situation where they, you know, they rest them while playing them and, you know, try to work the run game a little bit more or, you know, keep to, you know, keep the throws short or near the line of scrimmage to kind of rest that shoulder a sure. little bit. Sure, absolutely. I mean, I think right now, my friend, we got to talk a little glossary action. Yeah, we do. We have a little glossary that we are going to cover. We're covering uh, a, a term a week in this podcast from the Inside the Pylon Glossary. If you head on to just about any page that you want to on InsideThePylon.com, it is one of our headers in our menu. And really what we are doing is we're building out. It's a fully annotated, fully diagrammed glossary for just about any term that you can find for football. We've got about 40 terms in there right now. We're continuing to add one a day. The goal is uh, I think we're looking to publish around 300 when it's all said and done. But, but this term is, is one that is, uh, is something that I see quite a bit. It's, it's a term that's called hold-up technique. Right, and now you're not talking about robbing a bank or some Jesse James action, are you? We are not robbing banks here. We are playing this straight up, honest, and and trying to do everything like the gentlemen that we are because that's what we do it inside the pylon. Right, but what what exactly is hold-up technique? Now, that's something used on special teams, right? Yeah, specifically it's used on punt returns. And if you ever look at a punt return, you'll see in a lot of cases – the defensive line for that return unit, they may not always go in and try to actually block a punt. They're, they're not always going in and rushing as aggressively as you may think they should be. And the reason for that 
is that they're more concerned with trying to set up a return for their uh, for their returner than actually trying to block the punch. So what they do is they use a technique called hold-up technique. And what it involves is it's almost like blocking for as an offensive lineman where you get your hands inside the shoulder pads, you pretty much grab on right at the numbers, and you actually try to hold that offensive lineman in place. Because if you remember, on a punt team, the offensive linemen are the first people downfield in coverage, really, after the, after the gunners on the outside, but they're responsible for coverage. So what hold-up technique does is it keeps them in place and prevents them from getting downfield as easily. Right. Now, if you're a punt team and you know or you're watching film and you see that, okay, this, this punt return team that we're going up against next week employs hold-up technique on most returns, is there anything you can do as a punt team to kind of combat that? Well, it, it's almost like being a defensive end in some cases where you have to be active with your hands trying to keep the, uh, the punt return team's hands off of you. And so it's, you'll use almost a, a number of techniques that defensive linemen use when they're pass rushing because really you're, you're almost coming at this like a pass rusher. Once you finally get your depth on your kick slides, you're then trying to keep those hands off you and get moving if you feel he's in hold-up technique. Now it's difficult because you have to figure out if he's coming – well, you want to keep your hands on him. You want to lock him up and prevent him from getting to your punter. So requires some quick decision-making, and that's definitely something that they need to keep in mind as, as they're, they're really watching that punt rusher coming in on them. So it's, it's difficult to do, but we do have the glossary entry up on InsideThePylon.com. You can go and check it out there, and certainly I encourage all of our listeners to do so. We're now going to transition over to our second guest, and we are fortunately joined by Jeff Risden. You can follow him on Twitter. His handle is at Jeff Risden. And his bio pretty much has him just doing about everything. He is the lead NFL and draft writer at Real GM, editor at Side Lion Report, senior analyst at Draft Breakdown. And we're fortunate to have him on now. So, Jeff, welcome into the ITP podcast. Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. I appreciate it. I love love your work. I've listened to the last episode, and it was great, so uh, I'm honored to be on. Well, we're happy to have you on, and I know uh, you're probably happy to be on with the Lions winning the bag, too, right? Oh, it's it's much nicer to talk about Lions after a win than a loss, and uh, for the first time this year, we get to, to finally have some fun with, with the Detroit Lions instead of making fun of them, so yeah, it, it's a very good week. Uh, Jeff, one of the bigger plays in that game was the touchdown slash not a touchdown slash maybe an interception. Oh, wait, it actually is a touchdown on the slant route to Golden Tate. I still, I've been watching this game for years. I don't know what a catch is anymore in the NFL. Maybe you can help me out. What were you thinking when you saw that play? My first inclination was that's an interception. Uh, and as a Lions fan, I've seen a lot of these, and they always go against the Lions. So I was predisposed to thinking, okay, this is another situation where there's going to be this great rule controversy, and it's going to go against Detroit. Uh, and to my shock and amazement, they, they changed the ruling. Uh, and I can see it both ways. I personally think it's an interception, and I think the Lions got lucky. I think that the the laws of karma finally fit, went swung in their direction, and uh, thank God it did because the, the Lions needed every point they could get. Uh, but right. The, the whole arbitrary discussion of was he making a step? Was he making a football move? You know, was his foot down? Was he in the end zone with control of the ball? All those are, are snap judgment calls. So you're asking these guys who aren't right on top of it, to, to, you know, the officials, they're looking at a lot of other things besides that and, and not just that. So, you know, a lot of people do criticize the officials. I myself am one of them. What they're being asked to do in that situation is, is darn near impossible. 
uh, even if they, they powwow afterwards, you know, and, and try to come up with it, you know, when, so they really need to, to do a system where you can look at these things uh, and, and have somebody from the outside come in, you know, have somebody in the New York control room say, hey, this is what we saw, this is what the call needs to be, instead of them deciding it on the field, because they're clearly overmatched on this, uh, and, and with the, the subjectivity of the rules, it, it, my head was spinning on it, man, it, it was crazy. Right. And, you know, I think that's a very good idea about having somebody kind of off-site be able to weigh in on this because, you know, I was watching that replay. I was watching it again today. And, you know, slow motion, stop, go, speed. I still couldn't figure out what was happening. And like you said, these guys are being asked to make that call live in the moment. That's, that's like you said, darn near impossible. Yeah. And, and you know, they, they do take the brunt of it. And, and I've certainly dished it out myself. Uh, and, and as a former official, uh, I, I, I can empathize with what they have to do. But you know what? you got to get them some help. If you have the technology available to make these calls better, you need to utilize it. And uh, we've seen it with baseball. We've seen it with hockey. We're going to see it with basketball going forward uh, more and more. Uh, it's something that the NFL really needs to get bored on. And, and just acknowledge the fact that, that their officials aren't going to be perfect uh, in, a, in a league where, where perfection is pretty much demanded by everybody. So they really have to get forward on this. Right. Speaking of calls, my Twitter feed kind of exploded with about two minutes and 46 seconds left in that game when Caldwell, down by seven, decided to kick a field goal. What were your thoughts when you saw the field team trot, field goal team trot out on the field at that point? Uh, my thoughts are not safe for a family radio show. That was, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was, what is he thinking? Right. Uh, and what was crazy is it actually wound up working, but the, the, the idea to, to, to do that, it, it doesn't make any sense. And this is a keep in mind. This is a guy who kicked a field goal way behind against Arizona a week earlier. Uh, whether he's playing spreads or, or has an overall season under over point total goal that he has to get to get some contract bonus, I don't know. It's crazy. It, it, he's very lucky that it worked in his favor this time. Uh, Jim Caldwell has made a lot of very iffy decisions this year. He's not having a good year as a head coach. Uh, he got lucky on that one because that's another one where if it would have backfired on him, that that's that's more fodder in the cannon than to fire him at the end of the year, uh, which I don't think is going to happen. But uh, it certainly, it, it, if it didn't work out that way, it, it certainly would have looked much worse for him than, than what he does right now. Right. A guy I want to ask you about, and he's a player that's kind of dear to my heart being a Nebraska fan, and that's rookie running back Amir Abdullah. He got off to a good start, at least, in their season opener against the Chargers. Looked pretty good on film, but, you know, had a fumble that he was lucky enough to recover. But as you mentioned on Twitter during the game, didn't really see too much action down the stretch. What have you seen so far from the rookie? Or are you hopeful that, you know, it's just kind of rookie bumps and he'll be able to sort things out going forward? Well, he's had three fumbles now in, in the last two games, and that's going to get him on the bench. Uh, he wound up going back into this game uh, only because Theo Riddick, who was the only other healthy running back on the team, got hurt for a little bit and had to get out. Uh, one thing that Jim Caldwell does not tolerate is is lack of ball security. Uh, you saw it when he benched Matt Stafford the week before. Uh, Abdullah has got to hang on to the football. Uh, and this was an issue when he was at Nebraska, too. It, it kind of got glossed over a little bit. Uh, he, he's a, a small guy with smaller hands. Uh, and just the way that he runs, it's a very you know reckless style. He's going to put the ball on the ground every now and then, but he's got to work work on controlling it uh, because right now it's to the point where other teams see that it's a weakness and they're going to attack it, and, and that's just not good. Uh, 
the Lions desperately need him. He's a, he's a legit playmaker. I think you saw it in the San Diego game. We saw it in the preseason game. His ability to stop, start, and go at full speed is is rare. It's not something that you see very often in the NFL, and it's a very useful tool. But if he can't do the other things around the game to, to complement that, he's not going to be on the field very much. Speaking of young offensive skill players, it's never too soon to start talking draft. And a quarterback I'd like to ask you about is Connor Cook from Michigan State. I think you got a chance to see him in person at the Western Michigan game. I think you even talked to some scouts. What did you see? What have you seen from him? And what have you heard about Connor Cook's potential draft status? Yeah, sure. Uh, I was at the Western Michigan game, and there was I think there was 11 or 12 scouts there, uh, including two of them from one team. Uh, that is going to be in the market for a quarterback this offseason. Uh, you read into that way you will. And one of those scouts told me that he thinks that Connor Cook is going to be the number one overall pick in the draft. Uh, and that takes a lot of people aback. But the, he has all of the qualities that the NFL really wants in a guy. He, he's got great size. He's got good arm strength. He's got poise. Uh, his mechanics are very good when he focuses on them. He can get lazy with them at times, but... Uh, there's a whole lot to like. Uh, he's he's improved his decision making this year. Um, you saw in that Western Michigan game, he he threw the ball high and missed a lot. It was probably his worst game of the year. And even after that game, the scouts were still like, "Wow, this guy's you know he's the real." Deal. Uh, he's he's you know what I I'm not the biggest fan of his. I I tend to think that he's he's probably a guy who belongs in the I don't know the twenty to thirty overall range uh, and a guy that. You're going to have to get a little bit lucky with uh, as a quarterback. But, man, if you saw him against Michigan this past weekend, the decisions were there. His completion rate was under 50%, but the Spartans had at least four or five drops. Some of his throws were absolute nails. I mean, you, you could be forgiven for mistakenly thinking that you were watching Andrew Luck or, or Peyton Manning. Uh, the way he was operating under pressure, you know, just total cool, cool cucumber, you know, wheeling and dealing and, and against a pretty darn good Michigan defense. So th- there's a whole lot to like with Connor Cook. I think people need to, to be aware that NFL scouts think more highly of him than what you're going to see on draft Twitter and, and social media. Uh, th- this is a guy that he needs to be in the top 10 of your mock draft because that's where he's going to go. Oh, that's great stuff, Jeff. Um, one last quick question on him. You had him mocked at number two to the Saints. Is, have you seen anything since then that makes you think, you know, that moves you off that opinion, or do you really think he's a guy that goes that high? I really do think he's going to go that high, especially after what he did uh, in in the win. Now he didn't actually have responsibility for the win against Michigan. Uh, that was that was a whole nother just complete disaster entirely, uh, which was wildly entertaining for me as an Ohio State fan. Uh, but it, it, yeah, he he's, he belongs in that top range. He's a natural logical successor for Drew Houston there, or, or or you know another team. Houston could certainly use him if they wind up picking that high. Yeah, he, he's definitely in that top five ballpark. Very good. Well, Jeff, appreciate you coming on. Uh, definitely love reading your stuff, too. So uh, definitely keep us informed if you have anything big coming out. And uh, certainly we'll keep you in the loop. We'll get you back in here later on this season, too. Sounds great, guys. Thanks so much. Absolutely. That was Jeff Risden. You can follow him on Twitter, at Jeff Risden. He's the lead NFL draft writer at Real GM, editor at the Sideline Report, and senior analyst at Draft Breakdown. And, Mark, you've looked at Connor Cook, too. Where, where, where do you think he ends up falling in this quarterback draft class? I mean, you know, going into this season when I did some sort of summer scout and I had him as a third quarterback on my board after Jared Goff, who I had number one, and Christian Hackenberg at two, Hackenberg's really kind of fallen. I mean, I think if anybody's got a chance to look at him on tape, 
when he was a freshman, he did some really good things in Bill O'Brien's office at Penn, offense at Penn State. But it's just not there for him right now. So Connor Cook's now slid into that number two spot for me. And I, I agree a lot with what Jeff said. I mean, I think he does a lot of things both just as a quarterback and in Michigan State's scheme that look to translate well to the NFL game. A lot of five and seven step drops, a lot of stuff from under center. I mean, he's a guy that you could look at and say, well, he might not be ready, but he might, might be the most NFL ready college quarterback to take that leap. Sure, sure. So turning now to uh, the upcoming week of NFL action, uh, we've got about five minutes left here. And I, I went through the list of games this morning, Mark, and something dawned on me. Do you know what it is? I think I have a good idea. Do you want me to make a guess, or are you going to go and let me know? Take take a guess. I, I, what, what, do you, what do you think I was looking at? Um, I think you were looking at what else you were going to do on your Sunday. Yeah, because... Other than watch football. Because what I found is that out of every game this weekend, there is one that features two teams with a winning record. Right, and that's obviously the Jets-Patriots. That is Jets-Patriots, so... Certainly, I'll be tuned into that because this Jets team, and I haven't watched a ton of tape on them yet, but you just look at the results that they've gotten so far this year and beating a Browns team that has shown that they at least have some fight, beating a Colts team that is still in contention for uh, the division there, coming out ahead against the Dolphins, not a great win, beating the Redskins. I, th- I think there's, there's definitely better results coming out than I think a lot of people were expecting. My, my question and what I want to see this weekend is how do they fare against top-level competition? And, and I don't even necessarily need to see them win the game, but simply be competitive on the road in a tough division game and, and show that their defense can be effective in slowing down Brady and the Patriots. Right. And, you know, Rich touched on this a little bit earlier, and this game kind of sets up kind of poorly for New England, I think, in the sense that, as Rich mentioned, they've got some injuries up front, and that plays right into what the Jets do best. They have an incredibly talented defense, especially up front. They look like they can probably generate some pressure on Brady. And divisional games, those are always tough. It doesn't matter. The teams can be, you know, 5-1 and 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 4-1. They can be 5-1 and 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 1-5. But these are teams that know each other. They know each other well. They've played against each other a ton. So I wouldn't be surprised to see this be a very, very close game on Sunday. And, and let me tell you, one thing that I have seen quite a bit of is uh, Brandon Marshall's play this year. And he right. has been absolutely outstanding for the Jets. I mean, it's it's a case where you look at the numbers he's put up. First five games of the season, 37 receptions, 511 yards, four TDs already. Um, that's going to be a very difficult matchup, and I'm curious to see if the Patriots do end up putting Butler on him in man coverage or if they try to play a little more zone because he's a big physical guy that could be a tough matchup for Butler. Yeah, I mean, that, that's going to be one of the more interesting matchups when, you know, the Jets have the footballs, you know, how the Patriots kind of try to contain uh, Brandon Marshall. I think what they will try to do, and you know, they did it at week one with Antonio Brown, is put Butler on him and see how he fares. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, another thing, though, not to move too quickly, we got another London game. I know, we, we do. I, I am excited about 930 football, even if it's not the best matchup. Yeah, and, you know, it, it's interesting to come at this from, a, you know, we've got game in London. It's also Derby Day. we got a couple of derbies yeah. in the English Premier League. Yeah. And I've got a little question here. Who scores more, the Jaguars or my beloved Newcastle United when they take on Sunderland in the Tyneware Derby? 
it's really tough that you are a Newcastle fan, by the way. I've never said that before. It, it's, it's difficult. I'm, I'm a Tottenham fan, so I'm used to finishing in seventh place every year, which is, which is great. But, I would I mean, kill for seventh place. Uh, look, you've had a tough couple of years here. I mean, the last time Newcastle was good was 2011, is it? Yeah, that was the year they qualified for Europe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so but you... it's, been, it's been tough. But, hey, they scored six last week against Norwich. Yeah, they, they did have a big week. they could week. manage that again and maybe score – well, if, even if they score five, they could still score more than Jacksonville. It's probably going to get held to, what, three? Yeah, what do, what do you think yeah. Jacksonville puts – I mean, this, this Bills team also seems to be a, a – nearly impossible matchup for for the Jaguars just with you, you have a Jaguars offense that really can't do a whole lot they've scored over 20 points twice this year uh, once this year they've hit 20 twice and they've gone over 20 once so it's not a very good offensive team and this Bills defense uh is is definitely going to be a major challenge for them yeah I, I think so and you know we were able to make the joke earlier you know when the Miami Dolphins went over and head coach Joe Philbin doesn't get to make the flight back, is there any shot that Jacksonville loses this and makes a change? I I don't, I don't know if they make a change here. They have so they have so many pieces that are still in motion here. I don't think the expectations were nearly as high as the Dolphins, but I'm always open to being surprised when things happen across the pond. So, Mark, we uh, we unfortunately are out of time for the week, so I do have to bid adieu again until next week. But thank you again for everything. Always, my friend. Always fun. Mark Schofield, Chuck Zotto. We're heading out for uh, the rest of the week. We'll be watching everything this weekend to get you caught up next week. Follow us on Twitter at ITPylon. On Facebook, you can like us at Facebook.com slash InsideThePylon. Visit InsideThePylon.com if you haven't. I don't know how you would have gotten here otherwise. But if for whatever reason you missed it, do make sure you visit our website, and we'll see you next week.